0: This podcast is brought to you by NAB, more than money.
1: Welcome to Property Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks the hot topics of property and explores how they affect you. I'm your host, Alice Stoltz. In this episode, we break down the results of Domain's renter report for the September quarter. We also take a look at how the federal budget has addressed the construction and housing sectors and hear from a first home buyer who has been making the most of government initiatives to increase their buying power. And to wrap things up, we chat with the block's West Coast contestants, Luke and Jasmine. Rental markets across the country have been hard hit by the coronavirus pandemic with asking rents falling earlier this year as properties were vacated and households consolidated amid tougher economic conditions. While we're far from being out of the woods, rental markets across the country are starting to turn around, with the latest Domain Rent Report showing rents for houses were up or steady across all capital cities over the September quarter. Joining us today to take us through the latest findings and what they mean for tenants and landlords is Domain Journalist, Kate Burke. Kate, welcome back to Property
2: Unpacked. Thanks, Alice. Great to be here.
1: Now, Kate, hot off the press, what are the key findings from the latest rent report?
2: So, over the September quarter, we've continued to see a really fragmented rental market across our biggest cities, with median unit rents weaker than the asking prices that we've seen for houses. Now, nationally, across the capital cities, house rents have regained all of last quarter's price falls, increasing 2.9% over that three-month period to a median of $460 a week. Rents have continued to decline for apartments, but at a slower rate, falling about 0.8% or around $4 a week to a median of $447. Now, while that doesn't sound like much, it does mean the national median is about $20 cheaper a week than it was in March. And that makes it the steepest price fall recorded across our capital cities over those two quarters in at least 16 years. wow! It is being driven primarily by price falls in Melbourne and Sydney, which of course have been harder hit by the pandemic and its economic impact. But across the rest of the capitals, things are looking a little more positive. So Kay, just before we drill down a bit further, is part of the turning away from units and the
1: appeal of houses to do with people's desire to want to be in a house over an an apartment or is it literally attached to migration?
2: So I, I think it's probably a bit of both we've, Alice, previously spoken about how people's preferences for properties are changing. You know, we've seen the types of homes that people are searching for on domain change over the course of a pandemic. People wanting larger homes with that extra room for a home office or just a bit of extra space for the family. But we have also seen people changing where they're looking to. We know a lot of sea and tree change destinations have seen a big uptick from both buyers and renters as more people can work from home. Uh, But we also know that the middle and outer ring areas of our big cities, which do have those larger homes, have also seen increased demand. And as a result, I suppose you could say we are seeing rental prices hold up better in those areas.
1: Mm. And I suppose on the apartments when you don't have international students, even able to come into the country, there's just such a supply of those apartments that are no longer being tenanted that once were
2: Yeah, that's definitely a factor, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, which do tend to attract the lion's share of international students. And then, of course, you've also got the pullback in tourism, which has had an impact Because at the start of the pandemic, we saw, you know, a lot of typically short term holiday rentals move over to the longer term rental market because there just wasn't the tourists to to drive those holiday lets. So they thought, let's try get a longer term tenant while tourism is down. And that sort of flooded the rental market with more options than usual.
1: Mm. So, it's pretty tough in the unit area. If apartment markets in Sydney and Melbourne are still seeing rents decline, can you tell us a bit more about what we're seeing
2: on the ground there and the hardest hit areas in each of those cities? Absolutely. So in Melbourne, the weekly unit median dropped $15 over the three months to $400 a week. By comparison, the house median increased by $10 to $440 a week. So there's only a $40 difference there a week between your median apartment and your median house. So the inner city of Melbourne continued to drive those price falls with the biggest drop seen in inner Melbourne, where the median rent is now $50 lower than it was this time last Last year. The inner east and inner south also saw pretty sizable drops with rents in both areas actually now $25 cheaper year on year. And those three regions also saw house prices fall. In Sydney, it was a similar trend. The citywide median was down 1%, but again, those inner city areas that have been affected by that pullback in tourists and in international migration did see further falls um, for houses too, I should say. House and unit asking rents in the city and eastern suburbs had the largest decline. They were down $125 and $80 a week respectively over the two quarters. The Lower North Shore as well, that was down $70 a week over the two quarters with tenants there. They're now paying the same amount of rent they were back in 2013, which is obviously quite a drop after, you know, several years of a a heated rental market.
1: It's a considerable drop, isn't it? And I suppose it is great news for renters, but, you know, you sort of pity the landlords in that situation of how tough that income drop must be, particularly many who sort of live off that income for their retirement potentially.
2: Yeah, so obviously, recent months, there's been a lot of headlines about how this is impacting both tenants and landlords, with uh, landlords encouraged to negotiate with their tenants where they could to keep them in their homes. Obviously, we've had JobSeeker and JobKeeper rolled out to support tenants and keep them paying their rent and thereby supporting their landlord as well. Those payments have been reduced as of late September and will be further wound back in the months ahead so it will be interesting to see how that does affect tenants ability to maintain their their current level of rent and keep a roof over their head and then obviously there's the the flow on effects then to their landlords some of who do obviously rely on on that income to make ends meet on their own but there are also across the different states things like uh, land tax waivers and other measures to try uh, to support them even if it is a limited amount of support where they can.
1: Kate, if we look at states that haven't been as deeply impacted by COVID, in particular, you know, Queensland, for example, how is that faring in terms of
2: this recent rent report? In Brisbane, house and unit rents are actually now at a record high. They saw a $15 per week rise over the September quarter to $415 a week for a house and $395 a week for a unit. Rents in Adelaide also at a record high: $405 a week for houses and $340 for units. And they actually saw rental prices there had the strongest capital gain for units of all the capital cities, along with Perth, uh, where the median unit rent jumped to 340. Some of those cities that, you know, are generally like our quieter achievers, or in Perth's case, where markets have struggled in recent years, have actually seen quite a turnaround now. Perth also recorded the strongest house price growth of all the capital cities with rents up $25 a week or 6.8%. And that was its sharpest increase since 2012. It's looking like price movements... In, in recent months could even see potentially down the track Canberra become not only our most expensive rental market for houses, but for units. Um, at the moment, there's only $15 a week separating the two cities. So if prices in Sydney continue to fall and prices in Canberra, which are already back to their pre-pandemic highs, continue to rise, we could see sort of a change in the order of things. Um, so yeah, there's definitely been lots of movement.
1: Mm, Interesting times. Kate Burke, thank you so much for your time. It was great chatting with you on Property Unpacked.
2: Thanks very much for having me, Alice.
1: Last week, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg handed down the long-awaited federal budget, unveiling the government's bid to try to jolt the economy out of a recession. The extension of the First Home Loan Deposit Scheme was the big ticket item for the housing and construction industry, with the government extending the scheme to an extra 10,000 first home buyers this financial year. Property price caps were also lifted for new homes, meaning that in Sydney, a new property worth up to $950,000 would be eligible for the scheme. The scheme allows 1st home buyers to purchase with a deposit as low as 5% without having to fork out lenders' mortgage insurance, with the government effectively acting as a guarantor on their loan. One of the other big announcements from Budget Night was increased funding for the National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation. The corporation will be able to provide an additional $1 billion in low-cost, long-term loans to registered community housing providers who deliver social and affordable housing. Among a handful of other housing-related measures was increased funding to the Indigenous Home Ownership Program with $150 million investment to provide 360 home loans for new housing in regional areas. There was also a proposed capital gains tax exemption announced for granny flats in a bid to encourage people to make formal arrangements when a new family member resides in their home, such as when an older parent may move into a granny flat at their adult children's property. As is, families are often opting for informal arrangements to avoid paying that capital gains tax, which can leave vulnerable people exposed to financial exploitation if family relationships break down. To read the complete analysis of what the budget means for the housing sector, see the link in our show notes. While the budget measures were welcomed by the sector, there was disappointment over the absence of a home builder extension, with many industry experts felt was needed to provide ongoing support to the construction and housing sector. The scheme, which provides a grant of $25,000 to build a new home or substantially renovate an existing home, has helped to support housing demand amid the pandemic. We're joined now by Sydney first home buyer, Ron, who recently purchased an off-the-plan apartment in the city's southwest to make the most of the current government initiatives.
3: My name is Ron and I started looking at purchasing a first property. I've been looking for a few years, but it's kind of been a situation where I've put money elsewhere into other investments. So even though this is a principal place of residence, I'm looking at it for investment down the track. But I thought, given with what's happened at the moment in regards to you know everyone staying at home and with COVID, I guess this was a perfect opportunity for me to save up a lot of money and use the government incentives to purchase my first home. I was potentially looking at buying next year, and then in about February, that's when you know the coronavirus pandemic hit, and I'm self-employed, so I work in financial services. So at the time that coronavirus hit, I didn't know how my business would cope with it, but if anything a lot of revenue started coming in because I think a lot of people started worrying about their finances. So, you know, I started getting more clients. So as a result, my income went up. So it really kind of pushed forward my property purchase because for me, the way I tell clients or friends or family is that if your situation allows you from a cash flow point of view to make a purchase, then, you know, that should be the first thing that you're looking at. So for me, it was the cash flow was there, the opportunity was there, so I went down the path of purchasing with a company like Collier's where it was off the plan purchase as opposed to building a, a property for myself. And I was just happy with the off the plan purchase. So I looked at you know, a suburb that is an existing suburb, has opportunity down the track if I want to use it as an investment property and also close to the shopping center, close to the M5 and not too concentrated with other investment properties in that area as well.
0: So I did a lot of
3: research before I came to that. I looked at surrounding areas in the southwest and then kind of started narrowing it down of where I wanted to eventually live or build. I work in financial services myself, so I was quite aware of all the incentives. I was trying to package as much of the incentives as possible when I made the first purchase. I was able to get the Home Builder Grant, the stamp duty concession. I wasn't eligible for the first homeowner's grant. And looking at potentially getting the homeowner deposit scheme when the build finalises next year. So by my calculations, it should be about fifty to sixty thousand dollars in savings. So I think anyone should definitely look at the incentives to see if they're eligible. But at the same time, I think it's still making sure that you're able to, you know, save up a deposit on your own. Legislation changes all the time so quickly. A lot of announcements come out that, you know, might not make it to legislation. So it's always good to, you know, sit down with a professional, I think, and then and work for what's right for you.
1: Luke and Jasmine are the Block's West Coast Warriors this year. The young parents have been a force to be reckoned with. They recently scored full points for their second bedroom and ensuite and made it very hard for the judges to pick a winner of Kitchen Week. This week, they join us to chat about their time on the show and how they're gearing up for auction day, which is fast approaching. Luke and Jasmine, welcome to Property Unpacked. Good morning, morning. Alice. It's so great to speak with you and I'm loving watching how your style really does evolve and to see that wonderful continuity that you've really built up throughout your whole property. How is it for you guys watching it back in real time now?
4: Alice, I'm not going to lie, it's hard watching it back. I never actually thought that watching the show would be harder than actually being on the show. But at the same time, it's nice, you know, that we get to reveal our rooms week by week and take the viewers along on the journey with us. And it's nice because I think everyone's starting to see that having a cohesive house was the number one priority
0: for us.
1: Mm. So how did the idea to apply for the show come about?
0: Pretty much every year since 2012 I've been saying, come on, Jasmine, let's let's put our application in. From when we were renting in a, um, a pre-1910 uh, shack in, in the middle of the city where we, you know, had no renovation experience, we... Um, we did our video at a rental and, and we'd say, oh, we changed this wall colour. Was it was terrible. <laughs> laugh. It was so terrible. <laughs>
1: and and so what was it about this year that you think made you you successful?
0: We put all our eggs in our basket three years ago and and we got so close to the Elton Wick series and we got flown over for a challenge and we went up against Ronnie in Georgia. And then, and then this then,
4: year we were kind of just doing life in a very normal way as you do with two kids quite busy and then we got actually contacted and strongly encourage that it would be a great idea if we applied. Once you apply, they you, you build up a relationship and I guess, you know, the casting agent never quite forgets you and sometimes it just has to be the right time for you. And we're glad we did. Yeah. <laughs> um.
1: So, guys, what is your property journey up until being on the show? Tell me about your renovation experience and, and properties that you've purchased or you said you've lived in some tragic rentals. Tell me about your housing
4: situation since you've been together. Um, Well, we've been together such a long time, so, you know. 16 years. Yeah, so we've gone from living with our parents and then we've lived in a share house with lots of people in London and then when we came back to Perth we've rented a couple of properties and then just before we had our little girl Lola, we purchased our first home. I refer to it as our lovely brown house, Um, (laughs) you know, it's a 1986 beauty in the suburbs here in Perth and we've just been slowly renovating that one that's actually yeah just our first
1: and and when you say brown house Jasmine
4: is is it brown brick is that why you say yes brown brick you know just very simple design nothing sort of flash you know just a a wonderful house to be our first home and renovate together
2: Mm.
1: guys where are you now in terms of creating your dream home like you've got your 80s brick that you're in now you've got this amazing experience on the block restoring an old Melbournian gem what would your dream house be now if I gave you a blank check to go and do that. Oh, blank check!
4: <laughs> I would say we would probably build only because we would want to live along the coast. So unfortunately, you know, you can't exactly pick up a 1910 weatherboard home and plopper and on the front of the coast. She wouldn't fare too well. I don't know. So I guess we would probably build somewhere where we can take the kids to the beach. That would be ideal, wouldn't it?
0: Just walking yeah. along the beach with the kids. Yeah, nice you know, modern, modern shape. I, um,
4: but it's funny, I would still take some of the traditional elements, you know, like I like the idea of the white cladding. I like the idea of it having a bit of a coastal feel. I like the idea of there being, you know, perhaps some um, some timber features in there. I think we would take some of the things we've done in the block and still put them in. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to get to the pointy end of our conversation before we wrap up. How are you feeling about auction day and, um, and knowing that Melbourne is slowly coming out of that, you know, this very tough lockdown and the market is sort of uncertain at the moment but we are feeling quite optimistic how are you guys feeling about it from
0: afar mm. if you had to ask me when we just wrapped up the block we'd be worried but um as time goes on we've, we've just got faith in harley from buxton and they're working tirelessly around the clock for us and yeah we're really positive
4: yeah i guess um you know the thing is is we're just hoping that there's some sort of a, a little mini boom and then also i guess Everyone's sort of been in lockdown in their homes. And I guess never more than before has home been important. You know, having a place to work from home, having a, a place that's just got all of the bells and whistles. So perhaps it's a time that people are thinking about relocating because they know that they need a little bit more from their home. And we're just hoping that, you know, the five houses on offer in Brighton are going to fill that need for someone,
0: especially us.
4: we're looking forward to hopefully having
1: as normal an auction day as what we can do but um we just we just can't wait to hopefully deliver some fantastic results for you in a couple of months time
4: yeah fingers crossed yeah it's been a very turbulent ride and we're just hoping that you know it all pays off on auction on day for everyone. All yeah, five houses. Yeah, we Good
0: couldn't one. have done it without
4: domain. Luke and Jasmine, thank you both so much for talking to me at very early your time
1: this morning. I really appreciate it. And um, look forward to seeing you both in the flesh very soon, I hope. Thank you.
4: That would be lovely, Alice. Alice. Take care. Stay safe.
1: Well, that's it for this episode. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, or we could perhaps help answer a question, drop us a note at unpacked at domain.com.au. Talk to you next week.
0: This podcast is brought to you by NAB, more than money.
1: Been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and look out for further episodes dropping every Thursday. This episode was produced by Adrian Lowe, Kate Burke, and Danielle Gianopoulos. It was edited and mixed by Dan McHugh. For more property news, advice, and market insights, head to domain.com.au.